I'm a big, actually, Helen Keller fan. Um, I really admire her life and just sort of the challenges that she faced and what she overcame to really contribute and to be a force for good in society. She said that character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Welcome to the Career Nation Show, where you learn the strategies and tools to own and drive your career. Find out more at careertiger.com. Hey, Career Nation, welcome back to the show. Today, we have a very special guest. He has been a leader in major tech companies. He's a LinkedIn power profile, and he's also worked internationally, and is recently transition from large tech to SaaS startups. Please welcome Greg Fox. Greg, welcome to the show. Abhijit, great to be here. Great to be with you and Career Nation. It's a, it's a real privilege and pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Fantastic. Greg, why don't we dive into your career journey, which is like you've done so many different things. Um, give, us, give us a thumbnail. Give us a kind of paint a picture for us. How's been your career journey thus far? Absolutely. So I started in computer science. I really was fascinated by computer science. Started, that was my major in college. But so I learned how to program um, on the 68,000 assembly for the Macintosh. And, uh, you know, developed kind of WordPerfect for Mac, which was an amazing product. Um, but then I felt like I didn't want to be stuck in or pigeonhole into, you know, software development or software engineering. And I was really intrigued by economics and political science. So actually mm -hmm. my major shifted to economics with a minor in political science and Spanish actually. Um, eventually I got my master's, my MBA at the Marriott School at Brigham Young University. And then following that, I joined Compact Computer in Houston, Texas in product uh, management, working for the CEO. No, I didn't work directly for the CEO, but this is when Eckerd Pfeiffer was the CEO of Compact Computer. And then about three or four years there, made a transition to Novell. This is when Eric Schmidt was the CEO of Novell. So I was really interested in partnering, you know, how do partners go to market together, you know, for you know, companies as they build products, how do they take them to market through partners? So I was director of partner marketing at Novell for a few years. And then my friend introduced me to this great company called Cisco Systems. Uh, and I knew a lot about the iconic John Chambers, who was the CEO. Uh, their uh, alliances and corporate business development group was growing and expanding. They needed someone to come in and look at their enterprise business and also you know, had a better partner with enterprise companies. And so I, was, I, I became CMO of the Alliance uh, Marketing Organization and then did, did a few roles in channels um, and so forth. For, for about 13 years with Cisco, just a, an amazing time and a great company um, and era in, um, in working you know, with John Chambers and other great, great leaders there. And then um, interestingly, Citrix really was trying to look at how do they do their ISV partner program. And so I was introduced to Citrix just down the street in Santa Clara, joined, led the ISV partner program for about three years. And then my journey took a path to China. Uh, I was introduced to Huawei 
through the Association of Strategic Alliance Professionals, which I was um, uh, an advisory board member, a member of the board of directors, their executives were investigating alliances and ecosystems and trying to figure out how do they formalize a program. And so I was introduced to them. They asked me if I'd be willing to relocate to China, to Shenzhen. And sure enough, I came, led the Strategic Alliances organization for a couple of years, then transitioned into corporate marketing and brand strategy. Uh, and then um, Workspan, I was, I was always looking at Workspan as, um, as a potential platform for how we, you know, how you better operationalize partners and alliances. So I was introduced to Workspan while I was at Huawei, was really intrigued by the business model and was introduced to some of their executives. And sure enough, the timing was right for me to make a move back to the US after about three and a half years in China and Workspan hired me uh, to come initially to look after the Alliance ACES community. But then my role has expanded to really look at kind of a, a, a general management role, looking at our, com our communications and networking business, but also VP of alliances, because we have a partner program, but also still looking after uh, the Alliance ACES community at Workspan. So it's been a kind of a, it's always been a dream of mine to you know, join a startup and I didn't do it early on in my career, but I'm doing it late in my career and I'm really happy to be at Workspan today. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's great to hear the transition from uh, being at Compaq, product management into alliances, partnerships at Cisco, uh, Novell, Citrix, yep. um, Huawei, and now at Workspan, which is sort of like super exciting and working in a familiar space, which is partnership and alliances. Yep. Um, let me ask you a question on partnership and alliances, and then we'll go to yes. Workspan. Yeah. Um, you know, traditionally partners are thought of as resellers. Hey, I'm going to sell through the channel. Uh, and they've had that reseller role over a period of time. They've also become uh, sort of value added partners and they basically create solutions on top of uh, sort of vendor technologies. Um, and now you've got alliances. So tell us a little bit about this world of partners and alliances. Is it like everybody gives each other a group hug or is like what, what happens in partners and alliances? <laughs> Well, it's interesting that, I mean, you know, no company goes to market alone, mm. I would say, right? Either you're kind of building products yourselves, you're acquiring companies to, to fill the gaps, or you need to, to partner with other companies to, to complement your offers in terms of how you serve customers. So no companies are, you know, going to market alone. They're, you know, you have to work with, you know, partners of all different types, whether it's a system integrator or a channel partner or a cloud provider you know, that really sort of complement your entire, you know, go to market or route to market to be able to, be able to serve those customers. And so, and, and, and research has shown that, that companies that adopt this, you know, ecosystem model actually grow faster than companies that don't. Um, and they're more profitable and they do, you know, business better and they serve customers better. So it's not just about, the reseller channel relationship. It's about the holistic, you know, partnering model, working with partners across the value chain to be able to better serve customers and being able to orchestrate that motion with those partners is critical for a company to really be successful in the partnering world. It can be, I mean, most partners fail, partnerships fail. Those companies that do it well really see the, the tangible ROI and 
and you know, great results in terms of customer satisfaction, being able to develop and bring solutions faster to market, um, you know, being able to really you know, show Alliance contribution to sales you know, opportunities and sales pursuits, et cetera. So I think the, even though some of the research says these are hard and difficult, companies that do it well and, and are able to see the, the, the tangible benefits. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yeah. uh, that, that's great. And so, Greg, so there's a lot of value that gets created through channel partnerships, alliances. Uh, they help to scale uh, from a sales standpoint, yep. as well as create more value for customers. And that's great. I mean, it creates a really good go-to-market. And so that's the partnership and alliances sort of world or domain. How is WorkSpan working in this space? What is it trying to do? How is it trying to create value in this space? Yep. So what we say at WorkSpan is that we're kind of completely reimagining how companies go to market together. So for the first time, with, we call this you know, WorkSpan ecosystem cloud. And this is a new category. Ecosystem cloud has been recognized as a new category in the market by Gartner, by others. And so you know, for the first time, companies can now, with their partners, you know, build with, market with, and sell with. Um, and they can grow their business and create abundance together in a single secure, you know, cloud-based network. So that's kind of the value proposition that WorkSpan offers. Um, and so there's, you know, traditionally companies have, you know, had their own sort of ways in which they partner their own processes. They look at, you know, they may be using spreadsheets or emails to exchange information with one another. You know, they can't track performance with those partners. Mm -hmm. um, you know, usually that happens at the year end when they're trying to do a QBR or business review. Um, you know, developing a joint solution often takes six to nine months. You know, deal registration is like a black box. You know, joint planning is a long exercise. Joint execution in the field is very hard and difficult. Getting the sales teams aligned around incentives and go to and motions is, is important. And so, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of these companies are using traditional tools and to have, they have to do this manually through spreadsheets. Um, partners have their process, we may have our own process, but now with WorkSpan, you're able to, you know, operationalize and have like a single shared system of record that can be used by their partners in the ecosystems giving them joint visibility to the projects that they're managing, you know, to be able to ideate on joint solutions, you know, um, collaborate on joint opportunities, even pre-pipeline opportunities before they're accepted in the sale in the field by sales. It integrates well with existing PRM tools mm -hmm. and also CRM tools. And so this single kind of, you know, system of record allows companies to better manage that mo those motions with their with their partners uh, in terms of how they serve customers. Great. It sounds like the evolution of sort of partner management and partner uh, space in terms of how do you um, you know define solutions, um, market them, sell them together, and it sounds like it will certainly provide a lot of acceleration and efficiency in this space. Um, yes. Um, you know, from a career nation standpoint, Greg, what are sort of the career opportunities in this space? As, as you look at the evolution of channels and partnerships and alliances, 
Um, what type of careers are coming up in this, in this area? You know, there's a lot of different careers, I would say. You know, you, there, you're, there may be an, an alliance manager that's managing a single, you know, re, you know relationship for a company mm-hmm. or someone that manages, you know, the solution portfolio uh, with the business units and a partner, a set of partners. Could be someone that would manage the marketing, um, you know, the marketing campaigns or the marketing development funds in terms of how they execute and use those funds to accelerate, you know, sales opportunities in the field. It could be someone that manages an overall portfolio of partners within a, within a program uh, for a company. Um, it could be, you know, someone that's, um, that's, that's, op- that's, oper- that's in operations, right? Someone needs to operationalize, you know, these motions with their partners, keep track and measure and report on success and report, et cetera. So the operational aspect um, is, is really important. And then I would say, you know, companies like with, with WorkSpan, we have a, like a network success team that actually helps implement. So you need sort of implementers of, you know, solutions like ecosystem cloud to help companies, you know, get really see that time to value, uh, you know, realized, you know, over 60 to 90 days to help them get up and running, to help them overcome change management or implement new kinds of tools or capabilities in their organization. So sometimes that's a little bit complex and there's a little bit of resistance to change, but mm-hmm. those kinds of, those kinds of careers, I would say are really, I think, I think in, in ecosystems in alliances, this is going to continue to be sort of a thriving business and the career opportunities are endless. In fact, on our Alliance ACES community, uh, which we host, we actually post a lot of the, the jobs that are that alliance managers uh, may be interested in, and the different roles from different companies in the tech industry uh, are you know are featured there. And so, oh, absolutely, that's yeah. great, and yeah. that's fantastic to hear because you know as technology becomes more interoperable, got more APIs, more sort of companies and vendors sort of coming together. For example, Microsoft has made a one eighty degree in terms of how to work with other companies in a architecture that will be heterogeneous across maybe in an enterprise or so. So yeah. it's fantastic to hear there's so many career opportunities in the space. Um, yeah. let, me, let me shift gears a little bit about yeah. sort of uh, partners and alliances and go into sort of customer value. Yeah. And so as you look at go-to-market, alliances, partnerships, and all of these things sort of come to a head in terms of how do we create customer value? Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about how do you see customer value being created uh, yeah. especially as you work with customers and you take kind of the vendor or the company's technology and then you take partners capabilities put those things together create value how do you see value getting created for for customers yeah i think you know you asked a little bit about go to market um yep you look at go to market i think it's around you know how do you have like this game plan mm-hmm. reaching and serving the right customers you know, in the right markets, through the right channels, with the right products, with the right value proposition. <laughs> it's kind of a long-winded answer for go-to-market. But also, I think it's around creating those powerful, high-quality customer experiences, I would say. But then customer value, right? If you look at customer value, it's more about that perception, you know, of what a product or service is worth to a customer versus the possible alternatives. And worth means you know, whether the customer feels that they receive the benefits or services over what 
they paid, right? So can they, re, can they, are they, are they realizing, you know, incremental um, benefits or services over what, you know, their perception of what they paid, I think is really important. So for example, at WorkSpan, we have a network success team mm -hmm. here. So we, we really focused on customer value because if the customer purchases ecosystem cloud and is de deploying it, you know, for, you know, a joint solution or with a set of partners, they really need to see incremental value quickly. And so we have a network success team that is assigned to the customer that helps them implement uh, that particular use case or use cases, trains them on the platform, and then enables the team that will be using it so that they can quickly use it, incorporate it into their kind of daily workflow. And so that change management, that barrier to use is really lowered. So they can see that, you know, that value um, creation or, you know, through faster delivering solutions that are faster, mm -hmm. or quickly introduced, you know, pipeline, you know, is accelerated, joint wins or customers, you know, wins are, are achieved faster. And that they're, and that they're working in more of a, you know, a, in, in a one motion kind of, kind of aspect. So that team is really, is really critical. I would yeah, say. that's great. And it's really great to hear about customer value and the benefit it drives for the customer yep. creates an ROI uh, based on their cost. And yep. uh, it creates, um, you know, incremental value on top of what the customer was experiencing earlier, creates yep. more delightful customer experiences. Uh, that's fantastic. So thank you for that, that those insights. Sure. And are there any war stories that you'd like to share? Anything that comes to mind in terms of uh, customer value or go to market? So I'll just give you an example. Um, I was, I used to do a lot of, I still do a lot of public speaking at different, at different events, but this was a, a business week conference that I was attending representing Cisco, pretty high profile. And I was speaking on sort of this, the art of compete and collaborate as it related to the Cisco HP Alliance. Okay. It was a great alliance, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue to us, more to them. Um, I was asked, and this was about, you know, how we better serve our customers and how do we create value together as an alliance. And I was asked if that I was willing to admit that sometimes alliances fail. <laughs> because we had actually, we had sort of transitioned the alliance from a, a really competitive I'm sorry, you know, a real cooperative, not a lot of overlap, but then as we made acquisitions, as HP made acquisitions, they had, you know, we had this, this ongoing overlap between, you know, between the two companies. And so I said, they, they interpreted that I said that, yeah, sometimes alliances fail. <laughs> and so they associated that, you know, they said, you know, for the first time, we now see that an executive is willing to admit that alliances fail. But what I should have said was, is that sometimes it's appropriate to exit an alliance when the competitive overlap outweighs the, you know, the collaboration benefits. So my, my, my comments were taken a little bit out of context. The headline, you know, was there um, representing our, you know, referencing our highly successful HP alliance. You know, PR was up in arms. We had to issue a revision to my comments to, to make sure that our customers would continue to realize the value of the Cisco HP Alliance. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty good headline. They wanted a, a really good headline. 
to attach to someone that would be controversial. But even the headline says that you know, an executive is willing to admit that alliances fail, but in the, in the body it said, sometimes it may be necessary to exit an alliance. So they, they took it a little bit out of context, but um, just that was a, we had to do some damage control with HP and also with our, our PR firm and then reassure customers that we were still you know, doing things as normal. So a little bit of a, a challenge, but we got through it just fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And sometimes these challenges brings um, people closer together and creates um, better partnerships. Yes, sometimes absolutely. you had to go through the dip. Yes, absolutely. That's a great story right there, Greg. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and um, why don't we shift gears one more time and get into a favorites game? Yeah, um, And sure. uh, would love to know a little bit more about you, Greg, here. Yes. And um, in this favorite game, so we're going to ask you a, what's your favorite thing and why? And we'll okay. start with your favorite app. Okay. I was going to tell you, can I tell you something else that's my favorite in advance? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. My favorite game or my favorite thing to do is play golf. Um, I'm an avid golfer. I think, you know, if you look at some of the great golfers over time, like Bobby Jones, you know, who was an amateur his whole life, really was kind of the, even the founder of the, of the Grand Slam of Augusta National and the Masters Tournament. Pretty amazing. And I've, I've just been an avid golfer my entire life and just loved the game. And Bobby Jones said, you know, competitive golf is played mainly on a five and a half inch course, you know, the space between your ears. And so, <laughs> you know, no round is the same. Each course is unique and amazing, et cetera. But my favorite, I'll, I'll get to my favorite app. It, my favorite app, you know, it's pretty simple. Uh, I love LinkedIn. Um, I'm an avid LinkedIn user. I think the ability to connect and collaborate and network you know, and engage in meaningful conversations, you know, with professionals across the spectrum is pretty amazing. Um, it, it's, it's allowed us and me personally to sort of extend my network. It, it, every new job that I have secured has been through my network on LinkedIn and through past relationships. So with LinkedIn, you're able to explore partnering opportunities, learn new skills, keep, you know, keep track of the latest trends, I think you can share your voice and your point of view and allow others to react to it. I think it's amazing platform and I love, I love participating in LinkedIn. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I really do think that LinkedIn has created an unbelievable networking opportunity for all of us. And quite frankly, it's an indispensable tool now, like as part of your a profession, you just need to have LinkedIn. And it doesn't matter if you're in sales or operations or like, it does not matter. Everybody needs to be on LinkedIn. Absolutely. It's, it's critical to, I think, a company and to like an individual success in their career. No question. Absolutely. Yep. Good. Well, we'll go to the next favorites. And this one is about your favorite book. Yes. I thought a little bit about this. Um, I'm a big Stephen R. Covey fan. Um, actually, I grew up in Provo, Utah, where Stephen R. Covey lived, and I grew up with some of his kids, his children. <laughs> oh, very cool. And so I was, I was really intrigued by, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people. Um, I think, you know, if you look about, you know, the book talks a lot about effectiveness, you know, that balance of, you know, how do you obtain desirable results with caring for that which produces those results. And he talks a little bit about 
you know, there's like three categories of, you know, the seven habits around independence, you know, moving from dependence to dependence, that self-mastery, and then interdependence, working with others, and then that, you know, that art of continual improvement, right, in both the personal and interpersonal spheres of influence. So I really like, you know, the Covey Seven Habits. I've tried to incorporate some of those habits in my own life. Um, and it's been really helpful for me, you know, in my personal relationships with family and friends, but also in my career, um, you know, in the, in the broader, in the broader uh, realm. So. Yeah. It's a must have for anyone's yeah. personal library. Yes. And definitely recommend it as well. Yep. Um, moving on to the next favorites category, Greg, do you have a quote that you like um, personally, you put it up on your wall or your closet, or you would like to see it on a billboard on highway one-on-one or <laughs> um, <laughs> pick your fra- favorite freeway minus 680, but for other reasons. <laughs> Absolutely. One one's better. Uh, yes. So there's a couple of quotes. Let me give you two. One is uh, from Steve Jobs. You know, we, we all know who Steve Jobs is. He says, focus means saying no to the hundred other good things. <laughs> I really like that, right? There's so many good things you can pursue and that are maybe deserving of your attention and energy and investment, but really focus on doing some things really well, I think is really critical. And I really like, I'm a big, actually, Helen Keller fan. Um, I really admire her life and just sort of the challenges that she faced and what she overcame to really contribute and to be a force for good in society. She said that, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. So we all face trials. We all face challenges. You know, even, you know, people that you think are highly successful, everyone goes through challenging circumstances and trials. Is how do you best overcome those challenges and trials how they strengthen your character and your perseverance and how do you still be inspired and, and achieve success, I think is really, really, really important. So I really like, you know, what Helen Keller said and just her own personal example of that. Yeah, absolutely. And that is that's super deep. Um, yeah, Greg. It's, a little, it's a little bit deep. <laughs> and, and I love that. I love your commentary on that, which is everyone goes through dips and valleys Yes. And how you emerge from that and how you pull yourself up and actually emerge as a confident person, as ambitious, as someone who wants to create value for others and all of those good things. But going through the dip, it doesn't feel that good. But once you emerge from it, it actually feels much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Um, you have, do you have a favorite restaurant? <laughs> I've got a couple. I love fast food, In-N-Out Burger uh, as an iconic, you know, just go-to place for me. Um, but then there's a great little sort of restaurant in my hometown in Provo, Utah called Dolce Vita. It's an Italian family-owned mm-hmm. business. And just, you know, the, the food is made with such care and authenticity and it's family-owned. We've my wife and I have developed, you know, personal relationships with the owners there, and we go there often to, just just for you know a nice dinner, um, and uh, really a good standby for, um, 
just enjoying, you know, great Italian fare. Oh, that sounds really good. And if you ask me about my favorite drink, I would say Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I mean, John Chambers was, uh, you know, I think he's still an avid Diet Coke uh, drinker. I call it the breakfast of champions. I, <laughs> I, do love, I do love a Diet Coke, you know, a couple a day. It helps get me through the day, but I think it's a good fuel to helping <laughs> That's awesome. Is there a certain caffeine level that you aspire to every day? You know, I've, 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 tried, I've tried to lower my caffeine sort of intake over time. I used to be a, a little bit higher on the caffeine scale, but now it's lower. I'm a little bit more balanced on that, but I still like it, you know, a couple times a day. I like to indulge. I like it. Yes. <laughs> Greg, um, as you look at your career journey, you know, are there some strategies and approaches that have helped you. And when you think of it, like, for example, it could be your morning routine, or it could be the way you prepare for certain things. Like, if when you look back, are there things that have really helped you that it would like to share with Career Nation? Sure. A couple of things. I always say, you know, always prepare for the unexpected, if you can. Because <laughs> uh, things can, ha you know, things don't always happen the way you expect them to. Um, so you know, give yourself the opportunity to act on something, even as it appears real time. That's kind of the way the Huawei opportunity came to me, is you know, an opportunity came and presented itself. I was prepared to make a decision quickly on it and you know, acted on it, you know, just kind of going on you know, the opportunity, but also the what I felt like was a, a good next phase in my career. So just always be kind of present around, you know, prepare for the unexpected. And then when those opportunities present itself, be able to act on that. A couple other things I would say is I think personal, I'm always, I really value personal relationships. They really matter. So, you know, being deeply loyal to friends, I care about the well-being of others and how they, how, you know, how do they achieve success? Um, so I'm always available. I feel I try to be available to someone in need, never be too busy that you can't help someone who needs something in the moment. And it, you know, some things you just can't put off. You have to address immediately if, if the opportunity is there and you feel like you need to act. I think face-to-face -face meetings really matter. The ability to connect, collaborate, and build mutual trust in a real time is really important, I would say. I also love the energy of the office, um, especially in a startup. You know, everyone's working together. Sometimes you can, we can walk on all over ourselves and get in each other's way, but I really like that we're working collaboratively, getting projects done, doing things that you don't expect to do when it may not be your role or job to do. But then also still needing that quiet solitude, time to be able to think clearly and be creative, I think is important. And then I would say, be a mentor, be willing to share advice to someone in their own career, help, helping them overcome a challenge or a personal situation. I, one of my big uh, you know, attributes is hire interns. <laughs> you know, hire, hire interns who are hungry for experience, give them tough projects and they will amaze you. I hired an intern from the local kind of Mountain View High School here in the Bay Area. Uh, Kavya Shankar. She went on to Harvard. Uh, is just an amazing leader. I think she's working in investment banking now. She created a 
a social media marketing plan at Cisco for me at the time when social media you know, marketing was really up and coming. We really needed a, a solid strategy. I gave her the assignment and she just you know, blew this project out of the water, like a McKinsey-like kind of deliverable <laughs> and really help, you know, help us apply social media marketing into our, into our, in our digital strategy. And then I would say, yeah, just give back, right? Be able to, to volunteer on nonprofits or other organizations where you can add value and help others who are aspiring to be business leaders, help them, you know, realize the potential and help them, you know, fulfill their dreams. I would say that's a few, a few areas of advice that I would offer. Oh, that's great. That's a lot of nuggets there, right, Greg? Well, I've unpack that a little bit. Um, you know, one follow-up question to that I have is how do, is when you have like a big meeting, a big presentation, how do you prepare? Like, yeah. is there, like you're present, about to present to a big partner or new yep. alliance that's going to come up or like, is there a method to the madness? Do you like, like, do you go through some homework? Like, tell, tell us a little bit about uh, sort of the secret sauce of Greg Fox. Sure. I mean, I always try to understand what, who the audience is, who am I presenting to? You know, what are their core business challenges? What are their core top of mind issues, right? I always try to map whatever I present and prepare in advance so that they, so it really resonates and articulates with their careabouts and what, what they need to hear. Um, I do a lot of just research you know, kind of, you know, market research, and then also just do a lot of, you know, discussions with, you know, people that have to weigh in or provide content into a big presentation where I'm dependent upon their, their contribution to make it meaningful. And I do a lot of rehearsals as well, kind of talking through the talk track with colleagues, you know, even with some, you know, mentors or peers to make sure that it, it resonates and that the, 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 the talk flow is, is good. Then I try to think about what are some potential objections that the customer or the, you know, the recipient may have and how to overcome those objections with, and, but also but trying to lead us to some tangible outcomes and, and next steps that are mutually beneficial for us and for them. And so that's, what, that's kind of the way I look at you know, a big presentation, prepare well, you know, have your, you know, have your, you know, data intact, your talking points intact, know who your audience is, and then rehearse and practice. And then even though there may be unexpected, you know, outcomes or, you know, things that come out during the presentation, if you're prepared in that manner, it can usually go pretty well. And then have a supporting staff, you know, at, you know, that surrounds you to help you, you know, be successful in the moment that you deliver the presentation. Awesome. Yeah. You know, um, I love how your theme of prepare for the unexpected tied so nicely in with how to prepare for uh, big presentations. I love those points, especially about when we get into um, sort of, you know, the talk track. Uh, I also loved your point about objections, like how can we better anticipate objections of your customers or partners and have a response ready? Uh, one of my mentors used to tell me that you don't need to answer every question, but you definitely need to respond to every question. Yes. And so that is, de- that is definitely help. And um, I love, I love your topic of tangible outcomes. It's yep. very important. Otherwise you can just have a presentation, but what comes out of it is questionable. Yes. So that's, that's a great point. Love Perfect. it. Good, good. I'm glad it was useful. Yep. <laughs> um, 
you know, a little while ago, you mentioned about Huawei. And yeah. uh, I wanted to sort of get your perspective on what's going on with um, China. And um, so you work in China and uh, you work with Huawei. And uh, so currently we see we've got, you know, between the Trump administration and the and Beijing, there is, you know, um, trade war, tariffs, um, you know, a, accusations of security issues using Huawei equipment, et cetera. Um, so how is that playing out in your opinion? What's sort of your perspective on this whole thing? Yep, great question. I'd have to say my three and a half years at Huawei were some of the, the very best moments of my career. Um, it, was, it was magical in a lot of ways. <laughs> Going you know, to China, living there amongst you know, the Chinese people, under, you know, embracing the culture, understanding how they do business, and then just seeing that sort of that, you know, commitment to excellence and that drive to succeed was, was amazing. So I think on the U.S.-China relationship front, you know, there is definitely there's this kind of race for technology, technological leadership. If you look at 5G, autonomous driving, you know, it's a bit, little bit controversial. First off, let me just say, I don't think there should be any artificial barriers to trade or doing business. <laughs> I think you know it's best if trust and collaboration and fairness can exist that benefits all societies. But I think if you look at the role that technology plays, you know it plays a huge role in the like GDP of nations. And so there's this race to develop you know these emerging technologies to help raise you know the level of um, you know of uh, competitiveness, but also the the standard of living in nations. Because I think there's a direct link of investments in ICT to an increase in the GDP of countries. And, so, and, and I'll, I'll get to the, your question in a second. But if you, think, if you look at these, you know, the digital economy is growing faster than the regular economy. And that's all fueled through you know, data center, cloud, video, big data, mobility, 5G, IoT, and AI. And this 5G you know, is ushering in a new wave of, you know, mobile connectivity, which allows, you know, people to connect to data, experiences, and people in ways that they never thought possible. And so, you know, that it's the foundation of things like remote surgery, IoT accessories, improved drone capabilities, autonomous driving, et cetera. And these lightning fast speeds and the ability to power these new technologies you know, and new augmented and virtual reality experiences are pretty amazing. So there's this competitiveness in the industry between, you know, China and the U.S. as to who can more quickly deliver the capabilities and the promises that 5G offer. And so that's where I, I see, where we see a lot of the tension between U.S. and China relations is that who's best equipped to be able to offer the promise of, of 5G because whoever leads in 5G will likely dominate, you know, some of the, you know, realize a lot of the economic benefits associated, you know, with that. With that said, I think, um, you know, that it's, it's, that, it's that balancing act, right? You know, Trump has said, let's not, we don't, we, we don't want the U.S. to fall behind other nations like China in the effort to develop and roll out this technology. Um, and then, you know, there, there's this ongoing, concern you know the government has about 
they talk about cybersecurity or you know unsecure networks. You know, how is some of the customer data compromised? Um, you know, are there backdoors to the government? Um, I would say, you know, in my work, in uh, in all the work that I've done at Huawei, and in, in the industry, I have not seen any tangible evidence <laughs> that there are these backdoors or you know cybersecurity risks related to you know Chinese technology manufacturers, including Huawei, um, and that you know I think this is just I mean it's a race for you know developing the technology you know more quickly than the other to try to gain you know advantage over you know one another to be able to reap the you know the economic rewards associated with that. So I I'm hopeful that there'll be there will be resolution that you know companies can choose the best technology options that they have available, that the networks are secure, that there isn't these you know undermining kinds of you know policies or um, you know compromising of you know, customer data that could be, um, you know, used by, you know, foreign governments, you know, for, you know, for their own advantage. And so I'm optimistic about, you know, where this is at today, but I think there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of, you know, building better ties, building better relationships, building better trust between nations. And I hope that, you know, hope that results in, you know, ultimately better experiences and better outcomes and prosperity for you know customers that adopt and see and, and realize the applications related to these technologies yeah absolutely and i hope so too that we get back to sort of normalcy because yeah. whether it's u.s business or chinese businesses we all want a more predictable and a more stable business environment to yeah. do business innovate and create value so I totally, totally get it. Um, so thank you for that commentary. I know it's a controversial topic, but yes. I appreciate you providing those insights, especially from, from your vantage point. Yeah, my pleasure. Awesome. Hey, Greg, as we wrap up our episode here, are yeah. there any key messages that you would like to share with Career Nation? Anything, any major takeaways as they sort of think about their career development, whether they're early in career or later in career? What should, yep. should they think about? What are you, what is your sort of um, parting message for them? Well, thank you. Um, I would say continue to invest in your personal skills and competencies. Um, I'm, I'm kind of at the stage where you know, I'm a little bit later in my career, but I, I've actually continued to invest in my own kind of personal career development. I just recently completed a, a Kellogg School Digital Marketing Strategies Data Automation and AI and Analytics course. And I'm engaged in a MIT Sloan uh, online uh, executive education course on IoT and the business implications and opportunities. I would say continue to invest in your own personal skills, your personal development, because I think you are personally responsible for your own development and your own career path. Even though you may have you know, leaders and mentors around you that would advise you you know, you may have career opportunities within an existing company or opportunity outside. Ultimately, you are responsible for your own career path, your own, you know, opportunities um, that will come to you. Um, I would say also, you know, find ways to share your experience with others. When I was at Huawei, we had, um, you know, new employee orienta orientation. 
And so, you know, people that were coming from outside of China had a hard time adapting to the local culture, the local, you know, aspects that, uh, that were unique to Huawei, but also China. So I helped, you know, based on my experience, I was able to present how to quickly adapt to the Huawei environment as part of the Huawei University to helping others better acclimate and have better experiences to, you know, and learn from my pain points and my uh, failings that I experienced. So I think always find ways to share your experience with others, be open to sharing your career advice, be a mentor to those around you. I think as you give back to others and you serve and help others succeed, you naturally receive more rewards yourself. For sure. It's the law of karma. (laughs) Yeah, it's the law of karma. So I think I just, I think helping others achieve success will lead to your own, um, you know, personal uh, benefit and personal advantage and never, never lose sight of that. I think if you're, you're inwardly focused, more just concerned about yourself, you may find some advancements in career, but ultimately I don't think you get to where you need to or where the potential lies unless you give back and serve others in a meaningful way. Oh, that's so wonderful. What a great way to end this episode, Greg. Well, thank you. Greg, thank you so much for your insights and your perspectives. This was super valuable. And hopefully we'll see you around in the Bay Area or on the show next time. Absolutely. Habijit, thank you so much. And to all of Career Nation for the great opportunity to speak with you today. Best of success to each of you and to your listeners uh, in their own personal career journeys. Thank you. Thanks, Greg. Have a great day. You too. Take care.